family, friends, the people in your community. This could be your TV. Maybe this is your phone. There's a lot going on. So many distractions. The question is this, where does God fit in? Somewhere in between all the meetings and apps and social gatherings? What if we hungered for God more deeply? What if the way to increasing our hunger for God was found in welcoming decrease in our life? Decrease, a different kind of hunger, a different kind of fast. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Get the elephant out of the room right away. You all forgot your boots. <laughs> no, okay. I sprayed my ankle yesterday playing basketball. Uh, Karina, the te- my lovely teacher wife, said, what did we learn? And I said, I got to be more careful. And she said, no, you probably shouldn't play basketball anymore. We'll see how that turns out. I think I just need to get another ankle brace, but we'll see. So uh, my name is Sean Bolton. Excited to be here. Uh, fourth week of our Decrease series, and we've been looking at this verse, John 3.30, and it says, he must, in- he must increase and I must decrease. Small verse, but a lot of meaning packed in there. We've been looking at what it, what it is to, to make our lives more and more about Jesus and less and less about us, and what, what all that looks like. And um, this morning, we're going to continue kind of that theme. We're going to look at uh, decreasing your way to a rewarding life. And to start things off, I just have a, I have a picture I want to flash up on the screen. Um, we're going to be talking about, like, distractions and things in our life that make us comfortable. You're going to hear me say this a couple times today, at least. And that is, uh, these things in our lives that make us comfortable, they're not necessarily bad things, right? But the issue comes into play whenever they become so important to us that they distract us from God, and they distract us from God's calling. So if you look up at the screen um, in the top, I guess it's left-hand corner, uh, that's my family. Karina is my wife. She's an awesome wife. I couldn't ask for a better one. God knew exactly what he was doing when he gave her to me as my spouse. Um, Derek is my, my son. He's five years old, and he's a crazy person, but I love him so much. Susie Andrews had a great, respo- uh, a great description of him. I think it was her dad uh, that, that gave her this description of kids kind of like Derek, and that is when you look into his eyes, you see monkeys swinging. And I was like, wow, I've never heard a better description of my son before. Um, but <laughs> I, I love my son, I love my wife, and if you don't know, we're expecting, uh, we have one on the way com- coming in September, there'll be another bouncing baby Bolton, so I'm still getting on board with that, but, you know, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, and then um, down in the bottom left-hand corner is, is a cup that says, I love my job. Uh, God's given me an awesome job, right? It allows me to provide for my family, um, it gives us a comfortable lifestyle, um, really happy to be there. I get to use the gifts and talents that he's given me. It's, it's not a ministry job, but I, I'm able to do ministry there, pray with my staff, and, and just do awesome things to help people. So it's, it's a really a blessing. Uh, the top left, uh, right-hand corner is, uh, that's my fish tank. Uh, I love my fish tank, maybe a little bit too much, but <laughs> it's, it's a really, it's something that, that, you know, when I'm stressed out, I can just go into my office, watch my fish swim around. It's just very calming. Um, my wife probably thinks I spent a little bit too much time with it. I even enjoy cleaning, like, the fish poop out of it. I don't know. It's something weird. But um, we all have hobbies, right? We all have our things. And then the last picture on there is I have a gym membership, um, and I love going to the gym. I usually go, like, 5 o'clock in the morning and go four or five, four or five times a week. Uh, it's another kind of, like, de-stressor. You get out there, throw some weight around, and get some stress off of me. That's where I hurt my ankle playing basketball. But, you know, 
you take your, you take your, um, your wrist, I guess. But can any of you relate to what I'm talking about with these kind of distractions? Uh, can you, you can shout them out, like things in your life that are just like comforts to you. You just enjoy having them. You don't necessarily, they're not bad things, but if you're not careful, they can kind of overwhelm your life a little bit. Any of those? Movies, okay. Anything else? All right, well, we got movies. That's a good one. <laughs> we actually went to the movies last night. That's, that's good. But the point is, again, none of these things are bad. Um, but we have to ask ourselves the question, are our lives becoming so filled with things that make us comfortable that there isn't room for God to work through us to accomplish anything else? And a good follow-up question to that should, is, should comfort be our main priority? Should that be the thing that we're striving after, just to be comfortable? You know, should our lives be less about how we can make our, our, our lives here better on earth and be comfortable, or should they be more about seeking to help others discover Jesus and more about pursuing God and his calling for our lives? Because if we have too much comfort in our lives and we pursue that too much, our lives grow smaller, right? Our impact uh, grows smaller. Our influence grows smaller. We kind of refer to like that, the island of Sean. Right? I'm living on my own island, and I'm only letting people in or things in that make me more comfortable or, or can, can help me out. That's kind of what happens when we get so focused on um, comfort. So the call is to, dis- discre- to decrease distractions for comfort, comfort um, and as we do that, our lives grow larger. Our influence grows larger because Christ is able to work through us. We focus on other people, and our influence on those people, because God is working through us, becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, and we have a bigger impact for the kingdom of God. And we're going to see that if we make Jesus the priority of of our lives, if we're going to do that, we're going to make that conscious decision to say, Jesus, you're my priority. The calling on my life is from you, and that's my priority. If we're going to do that, we have to be okay with willingly being uncomfortable from time to time. Right? It's not always going to be easy because comfort makes your life grow smaller, but sacrifice makes your life grow large. And if we want that large kind of, uh, kind of life, then we have to be okay with being a little bit uncomfortable sometime. But once again, these comforting things aren't bad, but if we prioritize them over God, make them what we're striving for is to, to be comfortable. They're going to keep us from the rewarding life that he's called us to. So that's going to bring us to our first point. If you want to dig out your outlines, and follow along this morning. First point is we experience a rewarding life when we decrease what's comfortable. We experience a rewarding life when we decrease what's comfortable. We're going to start in, in Luke 30, 13, verses 31 through 33. It's in your outline. It's going to be on the screen. So if you have your Bible, you can pull that out. It says, at that time, some Pharisees said to him, get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. Jesus replied, go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow and the third day I will accomplish my purpose. Yes, today, tomorrow, and the next day I must proceed on my way for it wouldn't do for a prophet of God to be killed except in Jerusalem. Really awesome verse here. A little bit of a contextual background for you. Jesus is is standing ready to kind of enter Jerusalem for like the triumphal entry, like on the donkey, like Palm Sunday, all that stuff is about to happen. He's He's outside, and the Pharisees are talking to him, and they're saying, you know what, this, this Herod dude wants to kill you. That's probably not a good thing for you, right? And I think the Pharisees sometimes get a bad rap because we know, you know, from reading the Bible, oftentimes they have, um, they, they did stuff that wasn't good for Jesus, right? Ultimately, the, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, 
that ended up uh, working with Judas to have him arrested and ultimately killed. And if you read Jesus' teachings throughout the New Testament, you constantly see him challenging them and uh, calling them on different things about their hypocrisy and stuff like that. And because of all that, we tend to think, like, all the Pharisees were bad. There weren't any good ones. But there were. There were some that actually sympathized with Jesus. There were some that, even if they weren't on board with what he was teaching and preaching, they were at least like, you know, the guy probably shouldn't be be killed. Like, this isn't an offense like that. And these were some good ones. They were sympathetic and friendly. Then they were warning Jesus that this Herod, King Herod, is a very powerful man. He doesn't like what you're doing. And if you go into Jerusalem, basically you're not going to come out. Right? He's, he's warning them. And Jesus' response is an emphatic, like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to run away. I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing. I'm going to keep healing people. I'm going to keep making blind see. I'm going to keep casting out demons. I'm going to do all that. And I'm going to accomplish the mission that God, has, God the Father has on my life. And outside looking in, any rational person that walks in on a conversation where somebody is telling another person that if you go here, you're going to die, and you hear Jesus saying, well, I'm going to do it anyway, you have to ask, like, like why? <laughs> why are you doing that? Why would Jesus do, it, do that? I'm sure some of us at, at some point in time in our lives, in our walk with Christ, have been in a situation where God asked us to do something a little bit crazy. Right, maybe a little bit outside of our comfort zone, a little bit outside of our box. And this is kind of what Jesus has experienced, like to the, the a millionth degree here. He's literally being asked to lay his life down. So he has the choice, and we all have the choice in those situations. Do we do what's rational? Do we do what's safe and comfortable? Or do we do what God is asking us to do? Somebody walking up on this conversation might say, Jesus, you are crazy. For doing this. And I would submit that if Jesus was crazy about anything, he was crazy about fulfilling the mission that God had placed on his heart. Nothing was going to get in the way of that because Jesus lived his life by decreasing comfort, by not letting it become a a distraction because he had this laser focus on what God had, the, the Father had in store for him, what God the Father had placed him on earth to do. And I don't think that any of us would have necessarily blamed Jesus if he would have looked at that situation and say, you know, I have a pretty comfortable life. I could go back, hang out with my mom, Mary, and pick up the family business and become a carpenter and and do all that. Nobody would have blamed him for doing that, avoiding death to live that comfortable life. But ultimately, it wasn't what God called him to do. He didn't let comfort distract him to the point where he lost sight of his God-given priority. The distractions that we're talking about this morning, they kind of sneak up on you, right? These aren't like the in-your-face, like big sin, temptation kind of things. Like the the illustration that I think of is um, my son, I told you he's five years old and he's a little crazy. He inevitably finds like the the worst times to be really loud in the car, right? And this is one of his favorite toys. I don't know what just mean person invented this thing, but... Inevitably, it even moves. Listen, I don't know where the... this microphone on? Yeah. Can you hear it? Like this, over and over and over and over again. And he doesn't just like hit one and let it finish. It's over and over. <laughs> and I'm like, Derek, find a new button. <laughs> so like inevitably, he does that. Okay. And it goes forever. Okay, <laughs> so 
Those are the types of just like that. It hits you in the head and you're like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't do that. Well, the distractions that we're talking about are the ones that are just kind of subtle, right? In and of themselves, they're not bad, but they kind of pile up, right? Our comforts kind of pile up. We get used to the, a little bit of a comfortable lifestyle, and ultimately they take the place of God in our lives. Or just at, the, at, at best, they just kind of, our priorities get a little bit mixed up. So that's what we're kind of avoiding here, the ones that sneak up on you because you don't, they don't necessarily seem bad until all, everything's kind of out of whack. And this can happen to anybody. I'm sure we've all experienced, like, our priorities getting mixed up. Um, if, if you're a basketball fan, you know who LeBron James is. Uh, LeBron, is a, he plays for the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he's considered, like, the best player in the NBA. Um, he, he came into the NBA in 2003, and he had one mission. He was from Akron, Ohio. He got drafted by his hometown team, the, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he had one mission, and that mission was to bring a championship back to Cleveland. Cleveland has this, like, long-standing history of, like, mediocrity. They hadn't had a, a major sports championship in something like 30 years, and LeBron was just bent. I'm going to get a championship to Cleveland. Once he got to the league, he realized, this is going to be a little harder than I thought. There's actually good players here, um, and it, it caused him some stress. He began to have some... Uh, distractions creep into his life. He was feuding with management because he didn't think that he had the right players on his team. Um, he got distracted by kind of his status in history, his legacy. I have to have a championship to be considered one of the best players of all time. And he felt like, you know what, Cleveland is not the place that's going to happen. So when his contract ran up, he did the unthinkable. He left the Cavaliers, his hometown team, and he went and played for the Miami Heat for four years. So he went to, the, to Miami. Went, he goes to four different championships and, and wins two of them. And, uh, you know, that had to be a gut-wrenching thing for the people of Cleveland. And, um, you know, LeBron just kind of had lost focus on what his mission was. He would end up going back to Cleveland. Last year, they won a championship. And that meant a lot to them because when he left, there was a lot of heartbreak. There were people burning his jerseys in the streets. There were people just cursing his name. When he came back, like, and played for the Heat in Cleveland, it was just really awkward and tense. And it was just a bad scene. And so when he came back, it was literally like the prodigal son returning for the city of Cleveland. I have a video that kind of goes into what his return meant for the city of Cleveland, but kind of outlines what his priority should have been all along. of going back to Cleveland. When you combine that with the fact that Kyrie Irving, so long as he stays healthy, is going to be one of the best point guards in this game. You're talking about him and LeBron with some big bodies, and imagine what Cleveland could do. If you're LeBron and you're thinking about a storybook ending, going home is going home, and that's always going to have some semblance of an appeal. About the possibility of bringing a championship to the Cleveland, to the city of Cleveland, for the first time in its history. You're talking. There's only one thing that compares to a quality of life you've adopted, and that's the place that you call home, no matter what the circumstances. Home sweet home. <laughs> I'm coming home. I'm coming home. LeBron James with no regard for human life.
You don't have to like them on Facebook. <laughs> so that video kind of sums all that, like what all that meant for them. And, and you can see LeBron's distraction, that all of the, the legacy stuff, the feuding with management, wanting to win a championship no matter where it was, that kind of snuck up on him. Again, none of that stuff, nobody would blame him for doing, having all those kinds of thoughts, but they distracted him. They mounted up on him, and they distracted him from his purpose. And I, I'd be willing to bet that when he was drafted by the Cavs in 2003, the last thing on his mind would have been to say, I'm going to leave Cleveland sometime because I'm not going to get a title, right? And for, for many of us, when we're first confronted with Jesus and we're first confronted with the mission that he has for our lives, there's probably nothing that would have us say, you know what, at some point, I'm going to get so distracted by the comforts in my life that I'm going to forget about all that, all that. That, I'm gonna, that, that God and his plan for my life is going to be knocked down a few pegs. We probably never think that, but it happens, right? It's just natural in our lives for that to happen. And in 10 years of, of doing youth and children's and young adult ministry, I've seen this happen to students over and over and over again, right? You get to be 17 or 18 years old, junior or senior in high school, start getting concerned with cars, start getting concerned with uh, boyfriends and girlfriends, school, like what am I going to do after high school? Those kinds of things creep up on you. And when you get to that, when the students get to that place, they have they, they don't know which way's up, right? And my prayer often for them is, God, help them own their walk with you and step out in faith with a laser focus to say, I'm going to do great, something great for the kingdom of God. But the longer that I'm around, and, you know, I'm going to be 32 next month, so I guess I'm officially not like a young adult anymore, which kind of hurts my brain a little bit, but <laughs> I'm not a young adult anymore. I see just grown-up people, myself included, that are struggling with the same kinds of things. Like, I have all this stuff going on in my life. How do I own my walk with Christ and do something, focus on him enough to do something great for him? And my guess is that the Holy Spirit at some point in time has had this conversation with you. Even, he might even be having it with you right now. He might be saying something similar, begging you to make some decreases that allow your heart to grow, because that's what God wants. He wants your heart to grow. That's why he does this, right? So we can lean in on him and say, God, I want a relationship with you. I want to rely on you. I don't want to rely on these distractions and these comforts. And I want you to help my heart grow. Not just in my relationship with you, but so that I can have influence on others and allow their hearts to grow as well. So what decreases can you make? Are they financial, you know, sacrifices that you have to make? Are they your hobbies that you need to spend time sucking up fish poop in your fish tank? Um, is it your family? What is it in your life that you can say, I can decrease that a little bit so that I can make God a priority again? I can make God's mission and purpose in my life a priority and do something great for the kingdom of God. What is it in your life that just in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing, but you can tell, like, I'm just I'm spending a little bit too much time in that area and not enough time maybe in, in the word, not enough time hanging out with God, not enough time accomplishing the mission and the focus for your life that he has for you. Making room in your life by decreasing distractions that only impact you might be just what you need to have that rewarding life that only Jesus can offer. We have to know that God is going to take care of us. 
for me, like, my family is the biggest thing. Like, it's, it's something that I struggle with all the time. Like, how, how do I, I, I prioritize God over my family? I love Karina. I love Derek. You know, the, 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 they are a priority in my life. But when it boils down to it, I have to say, like, in my own human strength, can I take care of Derek and Karina better than God can? I think that's where I have to start for me personally is to say, God can take care of them better than I can, so I have to trust him in that. And that's a good bridge point to say, the more that I focus my energy towards God's calling to bless others and, and, and be his spokesman or his bridge, whatever you want to call it, carry out that vision, the more I'm going to be able to trust him to take care of those things because he's going to take care of us. The less we have to worry about comforts becoming such a distraction that it makes us constantly focus inward and less outward. We have to focus on eternity because we experience a rewarding life when we sacrifice for what's eternal. We experience a rewarding life when we sacrifice for what's eternal. Luke 19, 41 through 44 says, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late. The peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They'll crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. You did not recognize it when God visited you. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody, maybe even like a long conversation with someone, and you walk away from that interaction and say, man, they did not get anything that I just said. Like nothing landed. They did not pick up what I, what I was trying to lay down there. Or maybe there's somebody in your life that's always coming to you for advice and like you try your best to give them advice, but they ultimately they never listen to it. Um, and it, that can be a very frustrating thing to, to know that somebody's like, headed towards a bad path, you give advice because they ask for it, and then they don't, they don't even, even listen to you. And this is a little bit of what Jesus seems to be dealing with in this passage, a little bit, bit of Bible history. The Jewish people, right, he's looking over Jerusalem here, right, he's about to go into the city, and he's looking over Jerusalem, which is, you know, it's Jewish people, and the Jewish people were God's chosen people. He had walked with them for centuries, warning them about sin and calling them to repentance, um, he got to the point, their sin got so bad that he actually allowed their, their city to be overrun, their temple destroyed, they were taken out of there and held captive uh, by, by, uh, in the city of Babylon. But he makes a way for them to come back and rebuild their city, rebuild the temple and the walls, and uh, they're able to, to walk in him. But at a certain point, uh, it becomes too much again, and Jesus comes into the picture, right? The New Testament. Jesus came as the promised Messiah that they've been waiting for. Uh, the Jewish people had suffered some oppression from the Romans, and Jesus comes as this promised Messiah to usher in this new wave, right, a new covenant. And he walked among them and preached for about three years this message of a rewarding life being available through him as their Savior. And now he's here. He's sitting out this, outside of the city on a, on a donkey, and he's looking over the city of all these people that he loves so much, and he's crying. And he knows his death awaits, but that's not necessarily why he's crying. He's crying because in spite of everything else and all that he's gone through with these people, all the things that he's preached to them, all the things he's talked to them, everything he's gone through with them, they haven't gotten it. 
They haven't gotten them. He's crying over it. They never understood that the way to a rewarding life was to follow, and is, to follow Jesus. This, this type of life, it does require sacrifice. There's no way around it. It requires sacrifice. It requires us to look at those, uh, those things that we were talking about a second ago with the, the comforts in our lives and say, what are we prioritizing over God? It requires sacrifice, but in the end, the eternal implications are so worth it. It was so worth it that Jesus was willing to be broken for us. Not just his, not just his body. We all know how that all played out on the cross, but he was broken emotionally, sitting outside the, the city crying because they never got it. Jesus was broken because people were missing the point, and when people miss the point, they miss out on that rewarding life that we're talking about. A rewarding life is one that is lived in the presence of God and built on the purpose of God. Now, if you read the, the New Testament, you see Jesus constantly interacting with God the Father, praying like, God, what do I do here? You know, before he raised Lazarus, he prays, he prays to God. You know, before he does any of his miracles, he's praying to God the Father. He's talking to him. And it was all for the, the purpose of God, the fulfillment of God's purpose in his life. Jesus lived in the Father's presence, and Jesus lived out his purpose. He lived the rewarding life, especially in the times of greatest pressure. When the stakes were highest, you constantly see Jesus going to God the Father and living in his presence and carrying out his mission. In pain and in brokenness, he did that. And that's what he demonstrated, and that's what he's called us to do. Listen to his words as he, he describes how this, this servant lifestyle and, and, and what's going to happen. He says, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus calls us to a life of sacrifice. But more than that, he demonstrated it for us. You can read the New Testament and see time after time this servant leadership that he demonstrated for us and, and, and asks us to, to carry out as well. This, this life of willing sacrifice and service to others. And if you choose to live sacrificially, you do find a greater reward, right? Our comforts, they're great, but they're, they pale in the comparison to the reward that we receive when we live this way. Because the impact of your life grows. You have impact on people because God is working through you and speaking through you to bring people to the kingdom of Christ. There's no greater reward than to know that you've impacted somebody for the cause of the kingdom of God. So how do we become people who willingly sacrifice? How do we follow Christ's example? And I think we have to first go all in in prioritizing God over our own personal comfort. That's the first step. Go all in and say, God, you are my top priority. Your goal and your mission for my life, that's what my life is about. And then once we do that, we, have, we simply have to ask God to help us see people the way that he sees them. Help us to see people the way that he sees them. We have to pray this simple but powerful prayer, and that is, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Think about that for a second. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Short, it's concise, but it, it packs a punch, doesn't it? Break my heart for what breaks yours. When I was first considering getting into ministry, I felt a calling on my life. I, I was struggling with, like, what, what, what do you want? Like, God, like, where do you want me at? How, do, how does this ministry thing play out in my life? 
And, you know, I started praying, and, and God began to reveal things to me. You know, stuff about, I wasn't like an old person at that point. I was a younger person. But things that I had grown up in, things that I had experienced from alcohol to pornography and a number of other things that I had gone through and walked through. And God began to break my heart with the fact that, you know, there's students that are coming after me. There's a generation behind me that is going to be dealing with the same kinds of stuff. And he just, he undressed, just broke my heart for those students and said, Sean, I want you to be a bridge for those people. I want you to be a bridge for those students, you know, between me and this world. Because it's a hard world to live in. You know, and that's why for, you know, since that day, I've done children's ministry, youth ministry, young adult ministry. I just, it, it breaks my heart to know that with everything going on in this world, that there's, you know, students that are going to come up and against those things and face those things. And that's why I'm so passionate about working with our youth. Um, and, and I would encourage you to have similar conversations with God about your role in, in, in his kingdom. And I want to go through a little bit of an exercise. I invite you, if you can close your eyes with me. I want, you, I want you to take yourself back uh, 2,000 years ago, you know, sit, standing there with Jesus on his donkey as he's looking over Jerusalem. Maybe you're even putting yourself in, in, as one of his disciples. And you can see Jesus there. You know he's, you know, we're going into the city. There's going to be a celebration to, to usher him in. It should be a happy day, a great day. you look up and you see Jesus and he's crying. He's crying. And you know that you know, he's talked to you about he's going to die. Maybe you know how this is going to play out. with Jesus going through the, the city and being celebrated by the people he, he loves. But in a few days' time, he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be arrested beaten. The people that he's crying for now are going to spit on him and curse him. He's going to have to walk through the streets with that cross. People yelling at him, calling for him to be crucified. He's going to have to take that cross and walk it up a hill and be nailed to it and, and hung from it. deal with excruciating pain until he ultimately dies. But you can't help but think that at least some of the tears that he's crying aren't just from his physical pain, but because there's people watching him be crucified and people that know that he's crucified for centuries to come who just aren't going to get it. They're not going to understand why Jesus is going through all this, why he didn't just give in to that comfortable lifestyle and say, I don't need all that. Why didn't he listen to the Pharisees and leave Jerusalem? And I can't help but to think that as Jesus was hanging on that cross, he was looking down and saying, I love you. And I'm being broken for you. Now come back to today. Imagine yourself sitting somewhere and there's a crowd of people and you're looking out over that crowd and you see people in your life that you know haven't gotten it. 
Maybe your heart's breaking for them right now. Maybe it's family members. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's coworkers. But whoever it is, they're just, they're not getting it. And as you look at those people, you look in their eyes, and maybe you begin to weep like Jesus did. Maybe, maybe you begin, your heart, you become broken for them. Maybe you're even breaking down right now thinking, wow, these people just don't get it. My family members just don't get it. God, you're breaking my heart for what breaks yours right now. Maybe it's one person. Take a moment. Just pray for that person right now. God, break our heart for what breaks yours. We have people in our lives that don't get it. And our heart's cry is that you would reach out to them. Maybe even use us, use us as, as your vessel to speak to them, to to come into contact with them in, in, in a way that would make you real to them, God. In this moment, we're broken. Crying out to you, God. Help us to sacrifice for the eternal, not just for our own sake, but, but for those in our lives that you've broken us for. Break our hearts for what breaks yours, God. Amen. So we've had this uh, prayer wall. Looking back there, it's right here. We've had this prayer wall hanging up the last past couple, few weeks for people that we're praying for during the Lenten season. If you had somebody on your heart just now, somebody that you're just like, man, they're not getting it. We're going to have a little bit of a response time right now. Don't, don't even think twice. Just stand up. Go write somebody on the wall that's on your heart, somebody that you prayed for just now, somebody that you want to see get it for the first time and say, yes, they're going to be a follower of Jesus. Yes, they're going to live sacrificially. They're going to decrease their comfort for the sake of the kingdom of Christ. So we have the, the prayer board and we also have your response cards in your outline. If you just take a minute, maybe you even want to write a name in there for our prayer team to, to pray with you. I would just encourage you to do that as we worship this morning.